What do you think of when you hear Russia? Well, probably fur coats and lots of snow. Yeah, one of the two things that usually pops into my head, uh, the first would be a place like St. Basil's in Moscow or one of the palaces in St. Petersburg with maybe a little snowfall. And then the latter is a desolate area covered with snow and maybe a saber-toothed tiger. Did you say saber-tooth? Yeah, are they not from Russia? No, they died off roughly 10,000 years ago, and our producer is now telling me they weren't even in Russia. They inhabited South America and North America. But Siberian tigers do still exist and live in Russia and Northeast China, so maybe that's what you were thinking of? Okay, that's probably what I meant. Nonetheless, we both picture snow and cold in Russia. Ideal conditions for a Winter Olympics. Have you ever been to Sochi? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's not like the rest of Russia. Russia is massive, but I didn't realize people actually went to the beach in Russia for anything other than a polar bear plunge. Sochi is on the Black Sea, which, uh, with countries including Turkey and Romania. In the summertime, beachgoers crowd Sochi. Temperatures in Sochi are rather mild, low 80s for the high in the warmer months, but it doesn't get very cold in the winter. From February 7th to the 23rd, when the games were hosted, the average temperature was 50 degrees for the high. Wow, definitely not ideal for most winter sports. We thank you for tuning in. Welcome back to the Olympic Aftermath Podcast. We are your hosts, Jack and Molly Fitzpatrick. Today, we're going to be taking a closer look at Russia's Olympic history then look at the 1980 Moscow Olympics, and more specifically, we'll focus on the 2014 Sochi Games, looking at funding, infrastructure, governmental society, and its lasting legacy. So to begin, Russia first competed in the Olympics in 1900, then 1908 and 1912, under the Russian Empire. However, after the Russian Revolution in 1917, and then the next five years during the Russian Civil War, the Soviet Union did not participate in the international competition. After World War II ended in 1945, the Soviet Union was looking for ways to promote communism, and as a result, the Olympic Committee of the USSR was formed. Soviet athletes competed at the 1952 Summer Games in Helsinki, Then, the USSR continued to send athletes up until the 1984 Games, when the USSR boycotted the Games in Los Angeles following the United States boycott of the USSR's own Games in the previous Olympics. After 1991, the USSR no longer existed, and the Olympic Committee of the USSR was terminated the following year. At the 1992 Games, A little over half of the Soviet republics competed under the united team representing the Olympic flag. In 1993, Russia was recognized as the Olympic Committee and sent athletes under the Russian Federation to the 1994 Winter Olympics. Russia hosted modern-day Olympics in 1980 in Moscow for the Summer Games and most recently hosted the 2014 Winter Games in Sochi. Originally, we planned to only discuss the 2014 games in Sochi. However, after some research, there was too much interesting information surrounding the 1980 Moscow games to exclude it from this episode. Before we dive deep into Sochi 2014, 
we want to hit on a few interesting highlights from the 1980 Moscow Games. Taking a look at the 1980 Moscow Games, why exactly did the U.S. boycott the Olympics in 1980? President Carter wanted the U.S. Olympic Committee to boycott the 1980 Olympics because of the USSR's involvement in Afghanistan. In 1979, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and their goal was to make Soviet loyalist Babrak Karmel the president of Afghanistan. This protest makes a lot more sense in the context of the Cold War because tensions were high between the United States and the Soviet Union, and establishing a new president in Afghanistan would open up new power for communist leaders in a region in that region of the world. And the United States was opposed to the spread of communism. Also, it's important not to forget about the Iranian hostage crisis in November of 1979. 60 Americans were taken hostage at the U.S. Embassy in Iran. The conflict between United States and Iran has a lot to do with a former Iran leader who had a lot of pro-Western values recently coming to the United States. All this was in the midst of the Iranian revolution led by Khomeini, who was anti-American and anti-Western culture. A lot of people believe that if the United States wasn't under severe pressure to deal with the Iranian hostage crisis, the Soviet Union may not have invaded Afghanistan. The U.S. Olympic Committee decided to follow up as President Carter had recommended and boycott the 1980 Olympics. This boycott was very upsetting for a lot of athletes. One athlete that was particularly ready and fully invested for the 1980 Olympics and adversely affected by the protests was American hurdler Ronaldo Nehemiah. Nehemiah's hurdling skills were at their peak in 1980. A Washington Post article quotes Nehemiah saying, I would have won every race one could win. I would have won the games. Nehemiah was obviously very upset about not being able to compete in 1980. Without the Olympics, he took matters into his own hands. In response to the boycott, Nehemiah decided to switch over and play football. The former high school quarterback signed the first ever guaranteed deal in San Francisco 49ers history with an agreement to be a wide receiver. Nehemiah had a successful career for the 49ers, catching passes from Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana. Nehemiah had 43 receptions for over 700 yards in just three seasons and won a Super Bowl in 1984. While catching passes from Joe Montana and winning a Lombardi Trophy sound pretty nice for a lot of athletes, the cancellation of the 1980 Games was a lost opportunity that took years and years of training to be earned, and that goes to show just the severity of tensions the, between the United States and the Soviet Union. Because the government chose to decide for the athletes that they would be making an ultimate sacrifice to protest the expansion of communism facilitated by the USSR. When did the USSR officially secure the bid from the International Olympic Committee for the 1980 Games? The USSR secured the 1980 Olympic bid for Moscow in October of 1974. This left the USSR five years to prepare to be the first Eastern Bloc capital city to host the Games. During the five-year buildup, over 90 Olympic facilities were built, most notably the Olympijski Sports Center, where the opening and closing ceremonies took place, 
the rowing canal and velodrome, a new airport, the Cosmos Hotel, the Olympic Village, and new press TV centers. Also, Europe's biggest hotel at the time, the Ismailovo Hotel, was built housing 10,000 guests. That all sounds fantastic. At what cost did the USSR incur for such grand facilities? The USSR budgeted for the games to cost around 1.35 billion current US dollars. Like many Olympic games, the budget was overrun to 6.3 billion US dollars. In order to fund these large-scale infrastructure projects, the USSR took an interesting and unconventional approach, a national sports lottery. Keep in mind that at the time, the USSR was using a state-sponsored economic system. To set up the national sports lottery, there were a total of eight different lottery draws with many citizens eager to make their contribution to the games. Half of the money collected would go to preparing USSR Republic teams and the rest would go towards creating necessary infrastructure to host such as these facilities. Overall, our conclusion was that for most, the Moscow Olympics can be considered a success. Initially, it seemed, though, that the U.S. boycott could prove costly for the Moscow Olympics, seeing that they were really banking on using American companies to link modern technologies, such as TVs, to the games. But, however, an unexpected positive outcome was that because the USSR was unable to work with American companies because of the boycott, Russia was forced to modernize, the USSR was forced to modernize, and consequently had improved economic status after modernization. 34 years later, the 2014 Sochi Olympics began. Remind me again where Sochi is located. Sochi is located in southern Russia, along the Black Sea, and it is the largest resort city in Russia. The Sochi 2014 Games were intended to show a new Russia in a key demographic region, being Sochi is again along the Black Sea and has been kind of the most important area, warm water seaport for centuries. It gives Russia access to the Mediterranean, and over the last century it has been crucial to access the Middle East and the oil pipelines. Russia's main seaport is north is St. Petersburg. Petersburg and it's frozen half of the year. Did the Russian Federation for the Sochi Olympics use a state lottery system again like the USSR had done for Moscow? And I also heard Sochi was a very expensive Olympic Games and put the country in massive debt. Is there any truth to this? Unlike the previous Olympic Games hosted by the USSR, Russia didn't use a national sports lottery to host the 2014 Games. The Sochi Games were one of the most expensive games with a price tag of nearly 50 billion US dollars. This is 10 billion higher than the 2008 Games in Beijing we discussed last episode. The funds for the Sochi Olympics were primarily raised by wealthy private investors and wealthy oligarchs, mostly friends of Vladimir Putin. While officially not stating these wealthy oligarchs would gain something in return, it was assumed to be a kind of pay-to-play situation. So it kind of sounds like if private investors and companies uh, didn't pay for the Olympics, uh, it would be hard for them to make money in Putin's country. 
Yes, to a certain extent. It is almost impossible to get exact estimates for who paid what, but it is estimated that $25 billion current U.S. dollars was raised by private investors and oligarchs, meanwhile $13 billion came from federal funds and around $13 billion from regional funds as well, according to Reuters. Wow, that's, that's a lot of money. Where did most of the money go towards? The main infrastructure project included the first Olympic Stadium, this facility used for opening ceremonies as well as clothing ceremonies that was able to seat 40,000 people. Other main projects in the Sochi Olympics included the Sochi Olympic Park, the Adler Arena Skating Center, and Ice Cube Curling Center. Many of, the, many of these facilities are still currently in use today. There is even a Formula One racing track, the Sochi Autodrome, that has racing circuits around the streets of Sochi Olympic Park. The $50 billion also helped to build Sochi Park, Russia's first ever theme park. So would you say that the money was put to good use and for Russia, has the investment paid off? Well, prior to the 2014 Games, Sochi was primarily a remote summer vacation destination that very few people actually vacationed at. However, the Sochi Games caused the area to transform into an all-seasons resort destination complete with a state-of-the-art ski resort. According to the IOC, during 2014, there was already a 28% increase in visitors during off months. Other international events have also now taken place in Sochi, such as the Russian Grand Prix at the Sochi new Sochi Autodrome. So I would definitely say that Russia is getting a return on its investment. Much like the Beijing 2008 Olympics, there are some ethical and equality concerns tied to the Sochi 2014 Olympics. We found out that the Beijing 2008 Olympics were not alone in the fact that people were relocated from their homes to make way for construction of facilities needed for the Olympics. In Sochi, as detailed by the Washington Post, families were evicted from their houses by Russia under the claim that their home was illegal despite these families having paid taxes on that house to the state for several years. From what I understand, a lot of migrant workers were taken advantage of during the construction of the Olympic facilities as well in Sochi. Yes, many migrant workers were exploited during construction leading up to the Sochi Olympics. Workers were promised housing, fair wages, and 40-hour work weeks, and that is not what they got. Reports and workers claim that they were forced to work seven days a week and payment was less than promised and not paid in a timely manner. Migrant workers were in a difficult position to do anything about this for several reasons. Employers had all the leverage in the situation. Beyond the obvious desire for the state to have construction projects completed on time, employers also had the upper hand in that they were the ones that had guaranteed workers housing and they had access to their identity documents. Despite complaints from the workers, they still worked 12-hour shifts and did not receive adequate overtime pay, which was guaranteed by Russian law. Couldn't the migrant workers pursue what they deserve through the courts? It really wasn't in the best interest because as of 2013, the police had already started detaining and expelling thousands of migrant workers from the country. And even if they did go the route of seeking just 
just compensation through the courts, they were largely unsuccessful. Uh, that was because they were without access to lawyers and interpreters, as reported by the Human Rights Watch. Another human rights issue in Russia leading up to the Olympics was Russian lawmaking intent on discriminating against LGBT relationships. From 2006 to 2013, Russian lawmakers passed several laws that discriminated against same-sex couples. One more prevented same-sex couples from adopting Russian children. Additionally, leading up to the Olympics, there was a bill proposed to deny child custody on the basis that a couple was of the same sex. Another set of laws in 2006 aimed to outlaw the promotion of same-sex marriages to children and even adults in some region of Russia. These egregiously discriminatory policies are not in line with Olympic values. The Human Rights Watch, which is where we learned of these laws, also brought these discriminatory policies to the attention of the International Olympic Committee ahead of the Sochi 2014 Olympics. Did the IOC do anything about it? No, despite the IOC's commitment to the Olympics being a celebration of different cultures free from discrimination, no, they did not follow through with the Russian government and did not ask them to get rid of laws discriminating against LGBT people. Another major headline that I remember um, seeing during the Sochi Games was allegations of a state-sponsored doping system. Is that right? Yes. After the Games, there was a scandal where at least 1214 Russian athletes' positive tests were covered up and the Russian state had a doping program set up for their athletes. Yes. I mean, there certainly could be other factors at play, no notably, um, you know, being at the host country, but... Um, to only win three gold medals in Vancouver in 2010 and then come back and win 13 in 2014, that's, that's definitely interesting. Yes, it definitely could be a contributing factor, just wanting to, uh, to perform well on home turf as well as bounce back from the 2010 games. Russia would definitely be in the position of wanting to compete with capitalist countries and show Russia's superiority on home turf. The story with massive allegations was first released in the New York Times in 2015 with allegations from the former Russian anti-doping director Gregory Rodchenkov. These allegations came directly after Gregory's boss Nikita Krumyov died of a mysterious alleged heart attack. Yeah, that's very strange. Immediately after allegations were made, the IOC World and, and the World Anti-Doping Association, as well as an independent agency, looked into allegations and did find substantial evidence to believe Russian athletes were in fact doping leading up to the 2014 Games, as well as during the Olympics. Some Summer Olympic athletes were also busted for doping at the 2012 Games. Essentially, these allegations could undermine the integrity of the Olympics, and supposedly the best testing agency in the world, right? Yes, the World Anti-Doping Association is considered to be the best drug testing standard. And as a result, the International Athletics Association of Track and Field President Sebastian Coe banned Russian athletes from competing in track and field at the 2016 Rio Games. And as a result of this, the IOC followed suit. Russian athletes were allowed to compete at the Games, but were unable to represent the Russian Federation.
One last thing before we move on from the topic of Russia's state-sponsored doping scandal. I think it is important to acknowledge Russian athletes are not the only athletes who have cheated using doping to gain an unfair advantage. Other countries, like the U.S., have had athletes caught cheating. However, they're using a kind of form of corporate doping, you could say, not state-sponsored doping like Russia, where the um, WADA and USADA have caught many American athletes testing positive for having whereabouts failures, but the government isn't behind it. Rather, individuals and their respective bands and coaches attempt to cheat. I think it's time we move on and talk about Sochi's lasting legacy. In 2006, the Winter Olympics were held in Turin. Russia finished in fourth place with 22 medals. At the 2010 Winter Olympics held in Vancouver, Russia finished in sixth with 15 medals. However, Russia really bounced back in Sochi, finishing in first place as a country with 33 medals. This surprisingly dominant success for Russia at its own Winter Olympics seemed to correlate with higher approval ratings for Vladimir Putin. Higher approval, higher approval ratings for Putin as well as a recent boom of nationalism enabled Russia to invade the peninsula of Crimea without fear of public backlash. They did this as the Sochi Olympics were concluding. Crimea is located in the Black Sea with roads connecting it to Russia and Ukraine. Way back in 1856, Russia lost a war with Ukraine and ceded control of Crimea. Then in 2014, Russia sought to regain this advantageous territory in the Black Sea. Crimea does have a very large Russian ethnic population. The outcome of Russia's invasion in 2014 was that Russia illegally annexed Crimea. Since the annexation, a lot of Crimea's ethnic Tatar and Ukrainian groups have migrated from the peninsula. On a more positive note for Sochi, there's been a lot of positive use from, of the facilities and the attention generated by the Olympics since they occurred in 2014. The Olympics put, put Sochi on the map in Russia, and that, coupled with their new interest in hockey, earned the city their first franchise in the KHL. The KHL, or the Continental Hockey League, is Russia's top hockey league, and considered by those who know hockey, it is considered to be the second most talented league in the world behind the NHL. The franchise named Hockey Club Sochi, or HC Sochi for short, has enjoyed success since joining the league, making the playoffs in four of the first five seasons. Also, a lot, unlike a lot of cities who host the Olympics, the main stadium in Sochi where the opening and closing ceremonies were held named Fished Olympic Stadium is still intact today and has been put to good use. In 2017, the stadium hosted the FIFA Confederations Cup matches. Then a year later, it was utilized to host the World Cup. The stadium hosted six World Cup matches, including a very exciting quarterfinal matchup between Russia and Croatia. The Croatians defeated the host Russians 4-3 on penalties and then went on to advance to the World Cup final before losing to France. Also, the main ski resort for the Winter Olympics in Sochi is definitely still in use today and open to the public. Rosa Cutter Alpine Resort is located a little ways inland from the Black Sea and situated in a town with lots of hotels at the base of mountains. Prior to its opening to the public, Sochi was mainly a summer, summer seasonal town 
However, with the new ski resort being open to the public, hotels have seen occupancy at full capacity, as well as restaurants have seen large crowds during typical off-seasons. Sochi is a true all-seasons vacation destination now. The Alpine Ski Resort also helps to pay off any remaining Olympic debt. Sochi had, has a lasting legacy of reutilizing its stadiums well. Unlike many other recent Olympic Games that have seen many of their stadiums in disrepair immediately following the Games. At this point, it's time to wrap up the episode. Although we did extend a little bit longer than our typical episode, we hope you've enjoyed our research on the Moscow and Sochi Olympics. We thank you so much for tuning in, and please be sure to catch our next episode on the Rio Olympics. Until then, we say goodbye.